We have been uh, considering on Sunday mornings for some time now, a few weeks, some anchor points that help remain help us remain grounded during the difficult times that we are facing. And we still are facing some difficult times. You know, I, I have to admit that when we started this series and we framed this, I kind of thought, well, you know, by, by November or December, this could all kind of be over. And so I, I like, I remember thinking, you know, do we want to extend this out all the way to Christmas or something? Maybe this will be done by then. And of course, exactly the opposite has happened. And now the uncertainty of all that is complicated by the looming election in the United States, one that I'm not sure is going to turn out for the benefit of everyone. In fact, I recently wrote on Facebook that for the life of me, I don't see how the United States is going to win this election. These are about as weird of times as I can ever remember. And so we certainly need some points to which to tie to some anchor points. And today, I want to turn specifically as an anchor point to the teaching of Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I don't mean just specific teachings of Jesus. We are going to look at some specific teachings of Jesus, but more just to the teaching of Jesus himself, the the actual anchor point of the teaching of Jesus. And so in some sense, I want to turn to the whole teaching of Jesus that favorably compares, I think, to any teaching in the world. And in fact, I would say it's the very best. Those who originally heard him said, no one has ever taught like this man. No one. And they were right. No one ever taught like Jesus taught. There's different places we could go in Scripture to to discern this morning the teachings of Jesus, but I want us to go to maybe the, the locus classicus, the classic location for this, and that is the Sermon on the Mount. So I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. This is on page 683, by the way, if you're here this morning and you're looking at the Bibles underneath the seats. Matthew chapter 5. And I, I want to go through and, and talk this morning from Matthew 5 about some characteristics of the teachings of Jesus that I think make his teaching so worthy and so necessary as an anchor point for us trying to, to negotiate our way through some difficult times. So start with me first. I'm going to read with Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 12, if you uh, just want to follow along in your Bibles. It says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Wow. Just think about that for a second. It's one of the things that the Bible says is pretty difficult to do, this whole thing of seeing God. Here, it says that those who are pure in heart will actually see him. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
Now, you probably know, most of you who've been in the church for a while, that these verses are typically referred to as the Beatitudes. Sometimes we think, well, that's because we're supposed to be something. That's why they're the Beatitudes, but that's not actually not where it comes from. There is a Latin word, and I don't know Latin, so I'll probably mispronounce this, but the word is Beatitudo. Sounds a lot like Beatitudes which is very early used as a heading in early Bibles, Latin Bibles, because these verses are giving those who read them and those who hear the teachings of Jesus peace and comfort and blessedness. And that's what that word means. Beatitude, has it's a word for blessedness or even happy are those who experience the teachings of Jesus and then who live the kinds of lives that Jesus is talking about here. And so I'd say that at a time like this, this is pretty important for us to get. We sometimes are poor in spirit, which I take to mean that sometimes we we look at ourselves and think of our world and think things are not so great, even within me. Things are not so great as I stand before God. We mourn sometimes today. I look at the world and I think, man, what is going on? And it grieves me. We need to be meek. Sometimes people are meek because of forces around them that force them to be meek because if they weren't meek, something terrible could happen to them. There are those who are merciful, those who are pure in heart, peacemakers, those who are persecuted. All of these people Scripture says, have the opportunity to be blessed and to be happy, to experience something wonderful and deep. And so it seems to me as though this happiness, this blessedness can be reached, now get this, having nothing to do with our circumstances. And so even though we find ourselves in a tough way right now, things are not exactly good in so many ways, Our circumstances don't have to dictate our perspective about life. And so I would say something like this, that happiness, blessedness, deep-seated satisfaction, and I think this is what this is talking about more than anything else. We're not, not talking about something shallow here. This is not a giddy kind of happiness, like I'm happy today. You might remember I sang a song like that once. It's not that. This is a deep Seated joy, a satisfaction in life that is achieved in Jesus and his kingdom, and it simply isn't dependent on our earthly circumstances. You know, the weather outside doesn't have to control what kind of day we have. It doesn't have to control our level of joy. And, and aren't you thankful for this? I got up this morning. I think it was the coldest day of the fall so far. We live in a place where it snows or there is at least snow on the ground for like 150 days a year. Now, my grandchildren who live in Arkansas and Texas, they love it. When they come to Pappas and Grammy's house, they get to go outside and play in the snow, and that just seems so fun. And that's because they don't have to shovel it. They don't have to drive their car in it. They don't have to go and get the snow and the ice off of their car every morning. They don't have to slip and fall and break ribs because of the snow, like I did a few years ago. But thank God, thank God, that we don't have to be controlled by our perspective of looking outside and seeing snow on the ground five months a year. 
Instead, what can determine our level of joy and blessedness is the connection that we have to the one who stands behind everything, including snow. And I think this is important stuff. I talk to people almost every day who are in some way not just inconvenienced, but who are grieving because of what they're experiencing in life right now. And what Jesus tells us in these first series of Beatitudes is that it's because of Jesus and his kingdom and all that we receive in it that we can, in fact, experience something wonderful, a blessedness that comes to us, that comes to us really in no other place. And so I don't know what you're facing this morning because of your current circumstances or if there are things that are completely separated from COVID or politics or the economy that have come into your life and rocked you. But I can tell you that your ability to transcend your troubles and to survive through them is not dependent on your skills or on things getting better. It's dependent on your connection to Jesus and his teachings. And I would say not much else. Now I want you to look at verse 13 with me. Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Indeed, you're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. One of the things that I take note of about the teachings of Jesus is this, that following the teachings of Jesus puts those who follow him in a position of influencing others for Christ rather than being in the position of victims. Those who follow Jesus have something better that has happened for them that then allows them to go into the world and help the world experience this better thing that we had. You know, one of the things that's frustrating about the current political climate in both the United States and Canada is, in my opinion, there are no leaders who are likely to be elected who are directly bringing the influence of Jesus into office with them. And that that undercuts immediately their effectiveness in terms of actually transforming the society over which they're governing. How how can you positively, most positively, affect the world and the society in which you live if the, the governor of the universe isn't the source from which you take life? If you're not trying to influence the world with something that comes from Jesus, ultimately, where is the power going to be in that influence? And so this influence itself can become, if it's in Jesus, an anchor point, both for us because he makes us salt and light, and because we're also chosen by him to be the influencers in this world for his good. And so we've got a whole world of people who are struggling in all kinds of ways. And Jesus says to us, you can be salt in that kind of world. You can be light in that kind of world. You can have an impact. 
So rather than being victims of the world's struggles, we can be agents for change. We can actually impact things. We think that the destiny of our nation is most greatly determined by those who are put in office, and of course it's not. It's determined by us. We're the ones who actually have the means of changing things in our world more drastically And I would say even more quickly, if the church actually mobilized and did this, we'd have way more opportunity for impact than anybody else. Of course, we can't be this kind of force in the world if we aren't actually salty. Or if we take our light and we put it underneath something so that it's suppressed. And so if Jesus isn't directly impacting us so that we choose to live like him, if we simply choose to be disobedient, we don't listen to his word, we don't pay attention to what he says or how he lived, then our influence becomes nothing. Jesus would say, salt that loses its saltiness isn't good for anything except to be thrown out. But if we're salty, if we're filled with his light, then we have the chance to be influencers. So that if we're living for Christ, we go from victim to transformer. We go from being innocuous to helping others through the difficulties they face. We go from being fellow sufferers to being more than conquerors who can lead the world through tough times. And so we should be asking, I think, a question. Who are you directly influencing for the better. Because Jesus wants you to to have some purpose and direction and impact and influence so that rather than being defeated by what's going on around us, his power in us can actually help to change the world. And you know, like I say that and I think, really? Like, Like I can be a world changer? We can be world changers? But it seems to me this is exactly what Jesus says we can achieve when he lives within us. He needs then to live within us. Now I want you to look at verse 17. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore... Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And and by the way, I won't say a whole lot about that last sentence or so, but the righteousness we achieve is because of Jesus. It's not because we become great in our service to God so that we are ourselves creating our righteousness. Our righteousness surpasses the Pharisees and the teachers of the law because of Christ who lives within us. That's the only way. But Jesus does make a great point here regarding this. He says, following his teachings, or this is what I'm saying is a summary of Jesus. I'm saying following his teachings is directly connected to his fulfillment of God's vision for his creation. You know, God actually has no intentions, despite our fears, of letting COVID-19 or anything else, for that matter, defeat or destroy humankind. He's simply not. 
He has a different intention than that. Jesus has a different intention than that. Which means that COVID-19 is not the chief motif of our story. We can't look at our story and say, this is going to dominate us now. This is all there is. Politics is not the major controlling factor in our destiny either. What is? And I would say it all has to do with Jesus. Maybe you've seen the movie Armageddon. You've seen this? The theme of the movie of Armageddon is that there's an asteroid that it's on its way to the earth. And it's going to destroy us. We know that if the asteroid gets too close or hits us, that the earth is going to be destroyed. And so there have to be some people who go out and get on this asteroid or do something to to blow it up before it ever gets here. And again, the premise is that something drastic has happened and it ends up capturing all the world's attention. Because if there's an asteroid that's coming our way, that is absolutely the dominating thing. The same kind of story happens in Independence Day. Aliens this time, instead of an asteroid, large disks go and plant themselves over each large center of population in the world. And so everyone suddenly turns to the large disks above them, and it captures our attention. Suddenly, nothing else matters except the disks that are over those population centers. But what I hear Jesus saying in the Gospel of Matthew is that the end depends not on an asteroid. It doesn't depend on aliens. It doesn't depend on COVID-19. It doesn't depend on the politics that are surrounding us. It doesn't depend depend on an election in the United States or the political landscape of the United States. It depends instead on Jesus. And Jesus actually says that this is going to end well. And it's going to end well because of him. And if we live in concert with him, we're going to find ourselves carrying out his will in a way that actually helps transform creation and keeps it from being dominated by those things. And now I want to look at a a final point here from Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. So look a few verses over. In Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And then he finishes with, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in fact, this kind of rounds out an ethical section here in the Gospel of Matthew. Well, what what Jesus does here is he keeps saying over and over again, and he finishes, finishes it up here in verse 43 through 48, but he keeps saying over and over again, you have heard, but I say to you, And he does this about six times in total. Like if you look at verse 21, you'll see Jesus saying just that. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, 
Then he does the same thing in verse 27, this time about adultery. He does the same thing in verse 31, this time about divorce. He does the same thing about oaths in verse 33, and then finally gets to verse 38 in our section in 43. What Jesus wants us to see, I think, is this. It is what is in your heart and your attitude concerning your treatment of people that will place you in a position of completeness, of being his children, so that you may confidently rest in his love even as you love others. And what I'd say is that this is the summary of a whole section of teachings by Jesus about how we ultimately are going to find satisfaction and peace. It's striking that Jesus says the sun rises on the evil and the good and the rain comes down on the righteous and the unrighteous. Like, isn't that exactly what we're experiencing? Like, I don't know anybody who's, who's not experiencing the inconveniences of COVID because they are righteous. Nor am I thinking that there are some people who are getting this especially uh, intensely put on them because they aren't righteous. Hard times come to the faithful and the unfaithful. Hard times come upon both you and your enemies. The fact is we all stand equally as victims in our world. The one who rises above these hard times, even the times of having to deal with enemies and persecutors, are those who no matter what they face as a challenge, allow their hearts to be filled with love for other human beings. And, Jesus says, even love for those who are unlovable. And I would say that this is where the ethics of Jesus Christ becomes its most powerful. Because I do think there's power here. I think there's power in living after Jesus that allows us to not be dominated by these things around us. And so, do you have anyone or anything that is a specific and particular challenge for you? Do do you have a relationship? And And it's easy for all of us to think about this, and I think easy to find someone that comes to mind. Do you have a relationship that seems to you irreconcilable? Is there someone that you think really deserves the anger that you hold for them, and this keeps them from being reconciled with you and you with them? Is that the case? Do you have somebody with whom you are absolutely at odds? Because my sense from the teaching of Jesus is that you will not find ultimate peace until you've done whatever you need to do to try and reconcile that relationship. And I, and I recognize that sometimes we can go to people and try and reconcile, and it's not going to work. But I'm not sure that when there that, is that barrier between ourselves and another, that we can achieve the kind of ultimate peace that Christ calls for us to achieve. And that's why when you go through so many of these passages in the the Sermon on the Mount here in chapter 5, Jesus says things like, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm saying, don't even be angry with your brother. 
Now just think about that for a second. Like Jesus doesn't say, don't be unjustifiably anger, angry. What he says is, don't be angry. And that's something that happens in my heart. What is my perspective about that other? And Jesus says things like, hey, don't be calling people a fool. And and if there's some problem between you and somebody else, you need to make sure that you go and you reconcile with this other person. In fact, do it before you ever offer your offering at the altar. Because the fact is, there's something that happens between you and the Lord when bitterness is present. And so bitterness is not for us even an option. Jesus Christ calls us instead to be a proactive force for reconciling relationships when they have become broken. We don't actually have the option of waiting for them to come to us. And you know what I mean. We always say things like, well, they need to be the one who says sorry first. I'm not going to apologize to them. They need to apologize to me. Mommy, he hit me first. That's exactly how mature that sounds. It sounds just exactly like children saying, no, I I insist that they apologize to me first. That is not who we are to be. Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. And here's the result. Look at verse 48. What does it say? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, the word there for perfect is not just perfect. That word actually can mean complete. That word can mean coming to an end. And a lot of times in Scripture, that word is actually translated mature. And so when Jesus is talking about us loving others, we need to love each other because that is the mature thing to do. That's the only thing, in fact, that will complete us. You know, I can't think of anything worse in life than broken relationships. It's worse than getting sick. Broken relationships are worse than getting COVID. Broken relationships are worse than physical pain. They're worse than economic or material deprivation. And Jesus says that overcoming relationships is the way for us to reach completeness and wholeness even when this most difficult circumstance of all is present in our lives. And so right when you think to yourself, I can't be complete, I can't be whole, there's too many things going on in my life that affect me negatively, and I've got relationship problems, Jesus says this can actually all be overcome. Well, there's a whole lot more that we could do with the teaching of Jesus Christ this morning. Can't do it all. We don't have time. But it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do more with it. 
And so Jesus calls us to know his teachings, to follow his teachings, to be disciples of his teachings, to be obedient to his teachings. Because no one has ever taught like this man. And we need to hear what he's saying to us. And it is the only way that I know for us to get through challenging times. And we are faced with challenging times. So we need to go to the teachings of Jesus and let him bring us blessedness. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you've taught us so well that you showed us these truths and that because these truths have been made known to us that we can actually live the, the best life possible as we reflect on these things. But Christ, you know that there are things around us everywhere that, that are calling us away from your teachings. There are things that call us to insecurity in light of all that's going on in the world so that we, we can, can't rest and find peace only in your word. But help us to realize that that's simply not the case. That indeed, in your instruction about life, we can find the one source that will allow us to receive blessedness. And we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for scripture. We thank you, Jesus, for teaching us. Send your spirit that we might see these things fulfilled among us. We pray through Christ. Amen.